Our reading this morning is Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal, and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and spoke the word of God boldly. Thanks, Alan, very much for reading that to us. Well, for those who are joining us for the first time this morning, you're very welcome, uh, firstly. And you're joining us for part four of a, of a four-part series on the subject of prayer. So far, we've thought about praying from the heart. We've thought about praying in line with God's will. We've thought about praying in faith and obedience. And then lastly, this morning, we're going to turn our attention to the to the privilege and the subject of praying with others. So let's bow our heads, shall we, as we ask the Lord for help. Father, we do thank you for the great privilege it is to be together and to be able to bow the collective knee together in prayer. Father, thank you that you delight to hear our prayers and we ask you, Lord, that you would have your ear inclined towards your people that you'd speak to each of us as we just heard in that song and that you would awaken within us a new and greater desire not only to pray but to pray with each other and we ask these things for your glory Amen You've probably heard me mention this little book before uh, J.C. Ryle's classic uh, Do You Pray? Well I wanted to begin by reading to you um, from chapter 3 of this book which comes with this title I ask, do you pray because private prayer is the most neglected Christian discipline? This is what he goes on to say. I think there are thousands who never say a word of prayer at all. Even among those who call themselves Christians. We eat, we drink, we sleep. We get up in the morning, we go to work. We go home, we take exercise, we breathe God's air, we enjoy God's sun, we walk on God's earth, we experience God's mercies, 
yet we fail to pray. Now, even though those words were written back at the end of the 19th century, I feel myself nodding along to J.C. Ryle's analysis of the church. If there's one small thing that I would change for a 21st century audience, it's just one word in the title, which is this. I ask, do you pray? Because corporate prayer is the most neglected Christian discipline. Not private prayer, but corporate prayer. I'm not saying that our own personal prayer lives are all they should be. Mine certainly isn't. But what I am saying is when it comes to the subject of praying together, the discipline of joining together as God's people with fellow believers and bowing the knee together in prayer, there is without doubt a growing void in the life of God's church. Hence our focus this morning on what the Bible has to say about praying with others. Now, of course, the New Testament has a lot to say about praying on our own, personal prayer, private prayer. Jesus taught about it. Jesus lived it. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. It's a pattern that you see throughout the Gospels. Jesus takes himself away in order to pray. Yet at the same time, the New Testament makes it clear that prayer is not simply a lone pursuit. It is something that we should endeavor to do together. As one author says, prayer begins in secret, but God doesn't mean for it to stay in the closet. It often begins in the quietness of your own heart, but prayer is not meant to stay there. Prayer is meant to burst out into corporate life. It's something that the early church knew all too well. In fact, if you were to read through the whole of the book of Acts, from which we've had that short reading this morning, you'll see that it's, it's littered, literally littered with these pivotal moments when God's people come together in order to pray. Acts chapter 1 verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer. Acts chapter 2 verse 42, they devoted themselves, they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And then in our chapter this morning, Acts chapter 4 verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices, not on their own, they raised their voices together in prayer. You see, when God's people Here of all that God has been doing through Peter and John. They don't run off to their own homes, shut the door and have a nice time of personal, quiet, prayerful reflection. No, they stay together and they pray together because that is what God's people do. And I hope this morning we're going to see just how immense a privilege it is for the people of God Redeemed by the same saving grace to come together and with one voice call out to their Father, our Father in heaven. So turn back with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. Because before we come to the prayer itself at the end of Acts chapter 4, we need to know what it is that prompted this particular prayer gathering. And the answer to that question is the healing of a lame man in Jerusalem 
which in turn leads to the advance of the gospel. I'll look down at chapter 3, verse 2. This is what we read. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Same process every day. This guy was picked up. And he was dropped at the gate by his friends. Would have been a a thoroughfare in and out of the temple courts. Loads of people in and out all day. And there he sat or lay all day, every day, begging for scraps in order to survive. Yet on this particular day, he got a lot more than he bargained for. Verse 6. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. We can imagine that this miracle drew a bit of a crowd, and Peter, being Peter, wasn't one to miss out on an opportunity like this. Whenever a crowd gathered, Peter preached the gospel. And as always, there's a mixed response As Peter Peter preaches about the resurrected Christ, the Jewish authorities, chapter 4, verse 3, you can see they hate the message. Peter and John are arrested and they're thrown into prison. But, verse 4, many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. You can imagine that was a point of praise on the PowerPoint at Central Prayers. The next day when God's people gather together, the church growing to 5,000 people. Well, after a night in the cells, Peter and John are, are then dragged before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, and they're told in no uncertain terms to stop speaking about Jesus. But look at their response, verse 19 and 20. Love these words. Peter and John replied, they're speaking to the authorities Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I just can't help it, says Peter. Doesn't matter what you say, doesn't matter what the consequences might be. What Christ has done for me is so outrageously good that I cannot keep it to myself. So in verse 21, the authorities don't not sure what to do. Peter and John are reprimanded before being released, and that's where we pick up the story in verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And it's that news, it's that report that is the catalyst for this corporate prayer meeting of God's people. Verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. Do you see the flow from 23 to 24? When they heard this, when they heard the reports of all that God had been doing, his outrageous grace in growing the church, his sovereign activity over this whole sequence of events. They raise their voices together in prayer. And as we'll see, there are two main sections to their central prayer meeting. Firstly, 
There's a time of praise where they rejoice in God's sovereign activity over all that has been going on. Have a look again, verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said. The word sovereign there is a term used for a a ruler of unrivaled authority, a sovereignty that cannot be challenged. Contrast that to the Sanhedrin and their lame attempts to silence Peter and John. God has unrivaled power and authority. Why? Because he's the creator, verse 24. See what it goes on to say? He made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. God is the sovereign ruler over all that he has made, even, even those who oppose him. And that's the point of Psalm 2, isn't it? That's quoted in verse 25 and 26. Why do the nations rage? And the people's plot in vain, the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together. They come together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Why would people be so foolish to make their stand against this God? Well, of course, that's exactly what the Jewish and the Roman authorities did. Verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They met together in order to plan the death of God's son. They met, they plotted, they planned, and they conspired to have Jesus killed on a cross. Yet, verse 28... They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. You see, in an attempt to to thwart the plans and the purposes of God, all they end up doing is fulfilling them. Why? Because God is sovereign. He's the cosmic creator of all things. And it is that understanding of the sovereign power of God that gives his people the confidence to come before him and to petition with boldness, to to pray and to petition, which is what they go on to do next. Firstly, praise for God's sovereign rule. Secondly, petition for greater boldness. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Notice they don't pray for personal safety. They don't pray for protection. They pray that God would give them the courage to keep speaking the word of God with great boldness. And look at what happens when God's people pray together like that, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You see, in the New Testament, there's a clear link between the filling of God's spirit and speaking the word of God with boldness. We see exactly the same thing back in chapter four, verse eight. Now, I'm not saying that when we gather for central prayers on on Zoom this evening, your computer screens are going to shake. But what I am saying is this. 
When we gather together in any forum before a sovereign ruler of all things and we pray with humble hearts, simple prayers for courage and for boldness, God will only be too delighted to answer. We will see God move in power. should be no surprise that every revival... Every great awakening in the history of the church has been built on the back of men and women of God coming together in prayer and bowing their knee and pleading with their God to do what only he can do. And you know what? It will be no different in our generation. So let me ask you the question again that we began with this morning. Do you pray? Because corporate prayer is the most neglected Christian discipline. And it's not only the most neglected, it's also the most needed. It's what we see throughout the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, they come together to pray for wisdom. Acts chapter 4, we've seen it, they come together to pray for boldness. Acts chapter 6, they come together to pray for their leaders. Acts chapter 12, they come together to pray for those who are suffering. Acts chapter 13, they come together to pray for their missionaries. You see the points. It doesn't matter what you're praying for. There's no limit to what you can bring before God in prayer. Here's the point. They don't just pray on their own. However good and valid and wonderful it is to pray in the quietness of your own heart, they pray together. God's clear intention and his clear design for his church is that we come together to pray. Whether that's physically in person or virtually on Zoom with all of its limitations in this strange season that we're living through. Whatever it looks like, God wants his people to come together and to bow the collective knee in prayer. And so for the last few minutes, I want to take that principle of praying with each other. And I want to talk about what that looks like in three different contexts. Firstly, in the home. What does it look like to pray together as a family? Now, of course, it's not my job to prescribe exactly what that looks like, but it is my job to ask whether it's happening. To ask whether you're not only praying for each other, but with each other. Or to put it another way, is prayer a priority for your family in your home? And as you ask yourself that question, I'd love you to have two different aspects of prayer in mind. Firstly, planned prayer. And by that I mean, do you set aside specific time every day to come together and to pray? Might be first thing in the morning. Might be when the children come back from school. It might be after dinner in the evening. It doesn't matter so much when it happens, but it does matter if it happens. It matters whether prayer is a priority enough for you to plan it into your diary. Because you know what? If we do not plan to pray, the great likelihood is that it will not happen. Firstly, planned prayer. And secondly, unplanned prayer. And what I mean by that is creating a culture within the home where it just becomes the most normal thing to pray. So whatever happens, good or bad, our first reaction is to take it before God in prayer. 
It's when the children maybe come back from school and they've had a bad day and life's just been rubbish. First thing you do is you stop and you gather together and you pray. Don't just turn the TV on and hope it goes away. You come before God and you pray. Maybe mum or dad's going out in in the evening, they're catching up with non-Christian friends. Oh, that it be the most normal thing as a family to come together and pray that God would give them opportunities that night to speak of their saviour. Or maybe a new pastor starts at the church. That it would matter enough to you, not just as an individual, but as a family to come together and to pray for your pastor, for their life and for their ministry and for their service. Or maybe there's a big life moment coming up for you. Moving house maybe. (laughs) All the worries and the concerns that come with the change and transition. Oh, that it be the most normal thing (laughs) to come together as a family and lay it all before the Lord of heaven and earth. Not weird. It's not a weird thing to come together and pray that it's the most normal, natural, wonderful thing that you stop what you're doing for thanks, confession, prayer, praise, petition, whatever it is, and you come together and you pray before your God and before your Father. Firstly, praying together as a family at home. Planned prayer and unplanned prayer. Secondly, praying together in a small group. Two things I'd love to mention briefly in this space. Firstly, if you're not currently in a small group, could I encourage you to join one? Whether that's a structured home group or a prayer triplet or a fellowship group of, of some sort, could I encourage you to put yourself in an environment like that when you're face to face, if possible at this time, with other people? particularly the time when fellowship's so restricted on a Sunday. And secondly, if you're in, when you're in, one of those contexts where you're together with other people, could I encourage you to protect time for prayer? You see, prayer triplets so quickly become gossip groups. Home groups so quickly become social groups. You see, however good the conversation is, However fun the chat, however good it is to come together and to talk about stuff, there is a time when we need to stop talking to each other and start talking to God. Edward Bounds reminds us talking to men about God is a great thing, but talking to God about men is a better thing. And so let me ask you the question, will you choose the better thing? With all that's going on in life, all the stuff that you can do, the people that you can talk to, will you choose the better thing and protect time for prayer? And just as a little aside for those who maybe find it hard to pray out loud in public, small groups are the best place to grow in confidence in that way. I haven't got time to share the story with you now, but if you want an encouragement, come and find me. I'll tell you about my first attempt at praying out loud in a group when I was converted, age 22. I think it'll be enough to encourage uh, most of you. Praying together in your families, praying together in small groups, and lastly, praying together as a whole church. What does it look like to have a healthy corporate prayer life? You see, as I reflect on the last eight months that has gone by, there's been some wonderful encouragements by God's grace. 
But along the way, of course, there's been a number of discouragements as well. The greatest encouragement, I think, was during the first couple of months of lockdown and seeing the many people that were coming together to pray on the Zoom screen. So many that you had to flick across all those different people in, in different houses, separated physically, yes, but brought together wonderfully in prayer, unified together before their king in heartfelt, earnest prayer. Yet, of course, the flip side of the coin and hand on heart, the greatest discouragement for me as a pastor over the course of the last eight months has been to see those numbers gradually dwindle. Now, of course, there's a whole host of reasons for that, and it's not my place maybe to know what those reasons are. It's not my place to say whether those reasons are valid or not. That's you and the Lord that needs to have that discussion. But I must ask you the question. Are those reasons good enough to keep you away from central prayers? Because if they're not, can I encourage you to commit and recommit to the central prayer life of this church? Because there is something so beautiful, so beautiful when God's people come together to pray. And it's not only beautiful. But as we've seen this morning in Acts chapter 4, it is also incredibly powerful when we commit to pray together as a church. So let me finish by reading that prayer again, that prayer of petition from Acts chapter 4. As they understand, as they experience the sovereign power of God, they turn to him together in prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders for the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. When God's people pray together, the heart of heaven is moved.